everything that you could ever need to know about the show. It's in the show notes. Everything that you could ever need to know about the show. It's in the show notes. So go on over to Grimerica.ca or Grimerica.com.com.com.com. Repressed sexual forces are needed to be liberated in order for mankind to transform itself and to be able to master the powers unlocked by the atom bomb. Okay, guys, welcome back to the Grand America Show. We are going to be chatting with Peter Gray from Fifty Shades of Gray. <laughs> <laughs> I was looking at the picture of Fifty Shades of Graham over there. Mr. Dunlop will see you now, yeah. that picture. It's actually Peter Gray from Scarlet Imprint, the company that published Gordon White's book. Yep. Starships, Starships. Which is the book. I guess, so Gordon's publicist, whoever that publicist is, must be the first person to ever get us in touch with Gordon. Oh, wow. Yeah, I don't know. I thought maybe we got through to Gordon through Greg, Greg? THC, yeah. Could have been. Because that's when I started listening to Gordon was after. You know what's funny is I was listening to Rune Soup a long time ago now. I, I, I remember back being in the sauna in the gym listening to him. Singing? Uh, no, no, listening to Gordon White. Gordon. Well, you were just before we started recording, you were telling me how good of a singer you are. I, no, I didn't say you that. You said certain songs. I said certain songs, yeah, like certain 80s songs and stuff, you know, like some like skit, like, like Stairway to Heaven, Skid Row, or Motley Crue, or like 18, you know. 18 in Life. No, not that one. No. no. Which one? What's the other one they sing? <laughs> I don't know. See, I don't know. I have to look it up on my on my phone now. The only Skid Row song I know is 18 in Life. Maybe I'm not thinking maybe I'm think, maybe I'm not thinking Skid Row that. But I could get like the maybe I could get like uh Okay, uh, let me look at my 80s superpower ballads playlist. Maybe I could find a too bad that eighty stuff wasn't at a copyright sooner. Maybe I can find a copyright friendly version of Stairway to Heaven and you can regale us with that. Yeah. A what? A what version? I don't know something. I oh, I remember. Sure. I remember you. That song. It's I the ballads. Remember. Yeah, that one. I don't yeah. know. I just, I just made that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it wouldn't be hard, right? <laughs> I remember you. <laughs> yeah, that one. Oh. oh, that's good. Or ho- like Home Sweet Home from Crew, and then there's that uh, Scorpions one, like Still Loving You from Scorpions, and like we some of those it, old like. We sing it, Cack. I don't think so, dude. I can't. I can't do it in front of people. I got to be alone in the car. Or we'll just we'll put blindfold you. Sometimes we'll I just try to get get like upset, you know, cry while emotional. You sing? <laughs> just crying all the time. If I'm you want to skip, I'm grieving the I'm grieving the loss of freedom for the for the uh, the youth of our times. Who lost the freedom now? We because we had so much freedom. I was grieving the loss of freedom for listening to the songs that we used to go you know clubbing to or whatever or like out or just just driving around as kids to the beach or whatever as teenagers. You know, it's like I don't know. I was in the bush all weekend, so I seen plenty of free kids How running around, swimming, That's good. beaching. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Taught Madison how to drive the boat. Oh, sweet. Yeah, you'd never know anything was going on in the bush. Like two hours from here, you'd never know. <laughs> no. It's a different world. 
They had a playground in the middle of this one. Oh, yeah, cool. So the kids were on the playground lot. Oh, yeah, it was good. Must have been hot out there though, eh? But nah, you swim in a lake. What was wasn't... the lake? What was the lake called? Uh, I'm not gonna say. I'm yeah. not gonna say the show. Mm-hmm. I don't want to. I got so many good spots. Yeah, yeah. Stick. Okay. All right. We'll keep that secret. Keep your little secret spot there. Well, I don't need any little, like little unofficial meetups when I'm on a camping trip either. <laughs> but it's a good spot. We go there sometime. But I don't think you're much of a camper. What do you mean? I used to go camping all the time. I mean, as kids, like Thousand Trails, we used to go a Thousand Trails all the time. Really? Yeah. Yeah, but I feel like your dad was doing a lot of the work. What? Well, I mean, the last, the only time I've known you to go camping, you didn't leave the tent. What are you talking about? When I went on my own? Yeah. I went camping on my own. Yeah. And then when you lent me your tent, it had cat pee on it, and it seemed like it, you didn't know because it had been stored for a long time. I don't think you're much of a camper. Well, maybe what I'm do you wrong. mean I didn't leave Prove the tent? It's because it was something walking around in the middle of the night and I didn't get out and leave my tent? That's <laughs> what you mean? Yes. Well, would you? Yes. You just get out and see what kind of creature is walking around your tent yes. in the middle of the night, in the dark. Yes. Well, I just... You can at least open the window. I No. I mean, then, then you're... No, I was just <laughs> fucking playing dead. <laughs> it's just like a... <laughs> playing dead. Yeah. It's like a fucking clubhouse rap. <laughs> Playing dead. <laughs> you get drugged out of the tent by your feet. Well, maybe we'll go camping one day. Yeah, well, I used to like it a lot. Yeah, it's, nice. yeah. it's quiet out there. No cell service. That's good. You notice that shit yeah. when you're out of cell service yeah. these days. Yeah. I turned on the 5G on my phone. You turn it on? Yeah. What does that mean? I don't know. I had it off. I had it on LTE only. Oh, I see. I okay. turned it back to LTE only. Like at, at home? I honestly mean, wasn't or? impressed with the 5G. At home, you mean? At home, I use Wi-Fi. Oh. I know, but it's 5G. They they tell you it's 5G Wi-Fi. Mine's only 2.4. Is it? Recently, I, I had to call. I I had to call recently. Because it never fucking works properly. I know. I called recently, and then and now she what was do I telling me. on my phone? The 5G doesn't fucking work properly. Huh. They sent me up with a different IP address that we're at home because of what the internet was intermittent. Did you upgrade it? No, it's got, I think I'm on the fastest I can get. The one gig or That's whatever? That's what's super frustrating is you paid for the best one and then, and then it just goes intermittent. You're like, I'm like. You can get the one gig here now. Oh. Anyways, yeah. this is a fantastic chat with Peter. Um, Peter. One of my favorite books, too, and uh, it was a great chat with him about uh, Jack Parsons and L. Ron Hubbard and the sci-fi and the magic and the occult. And, oh, it's fantastic. Jack Parsons. Parsons Air Force Base. JPL. 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 Yeah, supposedly Jet Propulsion Laboratory. All oh, right, right. This is one with the house and the hippies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. before the 60s. Yeah, it's like free love before the 60s. This is like free love in the 40s. Yeah. That seems like trouble. Totally. Trouble. Trouble, trouble. Commune out of control with too much power. That's right. It's a powerful people commune. I feel like that's worse. I saw a picture of Jack, and I think, was it in his book? I don't know, but he's a good-looking dude. In Peter's book? Yeah. Or no, I don't know. I don't know if somewhere I I saw a picture of him, but yeah, he's a strapping dude. Strapping? Strapping young lad? Yeah. How old was he? 
thirties, I think. I mean, he's pretty young for lock up your daughters, rocketry, and all that, you and know? your sons. Thirties well, uh, and forties, maybe. That's too old to get into rocketry. No, it's, it's, it's I have a model rocket it. upstairs. Do you? We should get into rocketry. No, I don't want to do it. Why not? Because it just. We can prove the earth is We know round. it is already. We know do it's we? round. Yeah. Th- people have done what we wanted to do before. Putting that rocket up his face, looking down. It's done. It's been done. No, but let's build our own rocket now. It's what? Because now we won't be working soon. So we'll just build a rocket. <laughs> You're already not working. You can work I was working all weekend. Long weekend. I was, you working all, I, was, I was working on the show. Working what, for Great America. What'd you do? I was reading books. That's not working for Great America. <laughs> full-time podcast and working long weekend away yeah is the book yeah. done it will be done tomorrow morning really yep 800 all 800 and something pages of it that means uh how many takes 60 68 takes maybe oh that's not like bad yeah. randall's calling me oh we're uh we're teasing a new audiobook coming out it'll be secret doctrine book three dude some of that book was amazing yeah. Is it the best one? Uh, yeah, I think so. I like it. Hmm. I like it the best, yeah. It was cool. Annie Besant's putting all her notes together, all of Blavatsky's notes together, and it was, it was just, it was a good read, yeah. So it's more so edited. No, it's not that. It's just it's just less about the commentaries and the stanzas and all that, like the, the books of Jan, right? Like that, a lot of her other stuff is based on that ancient writing, and this is a little bit more sort of spiritual like there's a part at the end of the book where i want to put that i'm when i when, we, when the book comes out i'm going to put that page and a half in instagram it talks about getting out of the matrix and basically what's happening i feel like emotionally and spiritually to us right now but she warns about magic and intention and yoga like it's pretty it's pretty warns about yoga yeah like just yoga's trouble yeah really yeah All if of you're it? not you have to be you have to know what you're doing like a lot of it is like, you know, you, you know how we hear from some people about like, let's say, uh, Chris Knowles, you know, mm-hmm. like don't open up and don't do any of this stuff. Cause you're you, stretching you open okay. stuff up. Yoga is way more than stretching, dude. Like the not real yoga is like, I'm a stretcher. Oh, it's not yoga. You're I'm just, just you're stretching. Stretch. You're just stretching. It's well, called yoga on the YouTube channel. Yeah. <laughs> when did you yoga. start Yoga. Well, I haven't yoga in a while. Oh, yeah. I was doing it today. But I've yoga Uh, You know. I've started a stretching practice on my Now own. that I get out a lot, I don't really need to. I don't have the yoga need anymore. Yeah. Not all of us are just sitting at home reading books for the show. All. <laughs> <laughs> and then I got my little uh, thingamajig that hangs me upside down for a little before bed. I do a little bit of stretching before bed, maybe 10 minutes. Nice. I've been doing it in the morning after meditation. I've been doing meditation every day. For a long time, for a few weeks now, it's been good. Actually, a couple months probably. I'm a slow starter. I lie in bed for like, I like lie in bed, like pretending to sleep for like 15 or 20 minutes. Fuck, that's great, dude. And then I'll sit up in my bed for a while. And yeah. I slowed down my mornings quite a bit. It's better that way. Then I like crawl in bed, have a coffee, get on the road. Awesome. Have a good hour of time, you know? Yeah. Just because you have a bit of time. I think I'm going to go back to the bush this weekend. Get the fuck out of all this 5G before. I think I feel like it's going to be a fucking cold winter. Oh, yeah. It'll be dark winter. You think it's going to be dark winter? It might be. 
I hope my AR's here by then. I don't know. We talked uh, on. I was just on the Union of the Unwanted tonight before we came out here. So this is Monday after the oh, weekend in August, probably... and Robert Malone was on there, and he's he's pretty discouraged. I mean, a lot of the other people on the show it was a fantastic show. I mean, people got to look up the Union of the Unwanted and watch this because if you're to, if you want to kind of just an update on like COVID and the vaccine and stuff like that. It's this was like Dr. Robert Malone, Dr. Kerry Madaj, uh, Dr. Henry Ely, Dr. Jancy Lindsay, Dr. Frank Ayeta, who we had on before. Joel Hershon, Joel Hershon is on too uh, from Israel. Jessica Rose talking about various. I mean, it was on. like was I know he in Israel like, when we had him on. No, 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 no. Jessica Rose was from oh. Israel, and I mean, it was a fantastic like update on sort of words, what's going on. Like, no, not all. Like, look, a lot of them have been into this before. Robert Malone. Robert Malone's just pretty exhausted. I think he's been taking the beatings because he's on these, you know, like radio shows so and programs that'll have him on, right? What's but, he say is going to happen? I don't want to get into it on this show. I want. I want to keep this sort of light and positive. And, it's all over. Know, yeah. Well, no, he just he's just not happy with what's happened with with the vaccine rollout and everything, right? He thinks that the young people like under 50 definitely shouldn't be getting it. And the older people, there's a, there's a limit maybe. And, you know, I was kind of questioning him like, well, how can you do that analysis if you don't have any long-term data? And they think that, so then after he left, it was a bit of a discussion around <laughs> that whole thing, which is pretty interesting. And Carrie Madaj was talking about the, the microscopic, the microscopic blood samples from people before and after they were vaxxed and it, it can get pretty dark, you know, it's like, wow, what are they doing? But, uh, but then there's some people like Tim James was there to lighten it up and Henry Ely was lighting it up and Frank Ieta had the, the natural cures and, you know, so it was, it was good. Like it was a fantastic show, really. If people want to kind of an update from the doctors and a bunch of other people that are interested in what's happening. The COVID update, that's what they should call it. Yeah. But, well, it's not always like, I mean, he, they don't usually have that many doctors on talking about it. But oh, yeah, he's talking were, about the antibody and de enhancement, um, dependent enhancement stuff. And and then, of course, you know, they talked about how a lot of the, it's not really working, right? People are getting sick from it. And in Israel, most of the people that were in the hospital were vaccinated. And there's a lot of a lot of evidence that shows it's not really working but they're oh, pushing, yeah, they're pushing totally pretty normal. hard they're pushing pretty hard to blame the people that didn't get the job wow, that's all falling <laughs> apart even uh the people i know that i'm close to that have it are like oh yeah so this is just useless against this delta variant. <laughs> well <great. laughs> this is what's so weird the the media the mainstream media the narrative switched last week like four or five days ago it just went whoop all of a sudden put your masks back on because the vaccine doesn't work for the delta they're just why why are they saying that? Oh, I don't know. It doesn't What, they're like... telling us the truth all of a sudden? No, it's because they want to mask up and and you know, Sal from Colorado said it went in one day it went from five percent masks to fifty percent masks because of that. All of a sudden. So now they want everybody masked up again. I feel like Denver never got down to five percent mass. <laughs> yeah, <on>. I know. <laughs> even here. I went to the mall on the weekend. I was gonna I was gonna talk to you about it. And because uh, they've opened up in Alberta for all intents Alberta and purposes, it's like pretty open. much wide open. Like, I, I don't know how long it's going to last. And, but I mean, we have to believe it because it's happening. I mean, there's no, you know, when I'm at the local in our little local stores and our little, little don't town, see how they can bring it back. In, but in Cal in a big mall, I went to the popular mall there for a bit to pick up a couple of things. And it was weird. There's like 
30%, 50%, so maybe 30 to 50% masked or as still. That's because young people, young people, yeah, young people, people are, people are scared of the Delta and there's a bunch of people masked up. It's really weird to see all different ages on both sides of it. Stampede was pretty maskless, so. Yeah, well, apparently the, there's been some headlines about the Stampede causing some Delta super spreading as nah, well. Now the headlines I've seen about the Stampede were that it wasn't a super spreader event. Wow, that's good. I've been wondering how this cat gets behind that curtain. So, yeah. Anyways, that's kind of the update from that. I'll put a link to the union I wanted in the show notes. Well, I appreciate that you go on there so that I don't have to. I plugged your I book like at the end. Guys. I plugged your book at the end. You know, Canadian you shame. Do more of that too. <laughs> yeah, I'll do. I'll go on the. I'll go on shows for your book. There you I go. mean, I read the whole thing. I narrated. I read the thing twice, probably. You probably know it better than I do. <laughs> <laughs> no, you got the spiel down, Pat. I uh, went on Charlie Murphy's show and talked about it. Like Charlie, Charlie Murphy. Charlie Robinson. <laughs> I'm glad you. I'm glad you get the name wrong on his show as well as on ours. Oh, you went on Charlie's show to talk about it. Yes. Wow, that's great. That was last week, I think. How did that go? That was good. Charlie's great. Yeah. Always fun to talk to Charlie. Uh, you went on Conspiracy Castle as well to talk about it. We didn't really talk about the book. Oh, we just talked. Oh, Alex okay. is a fun cat. Yeah. He's an interesting guy. Yeah. He'd be fun to hang out with. Might have to try and bump into him the next time I'm down in Texas. Oh yeah, yeah probably he, this yeah, fall. Yeah. I could, Definitely. I could see myself going to Texas in the fall. Maybe once it starts getting cold here, once the snow flies, maybe like November after hunt season too. Yeah, good, good. So what do you got? Oh, I, oh, I want to read a couple things, a quote. I got a quote for you, and I've got an operation project as well. And then you've got the card to read there from... <clears throat> What's this? Housekeeping. housekeeping you got housekeeping to do? Isn't that what I there's a timestamp in the show notes to get to the interview, but we like to ramble around here. That, that try should have been at the beginning. Uh, I think I've had that for a while. I don't, have I never played that before? Yeah, I think you did when we first got it. I can't. Uh, so what do you want to do first? The quote? It's up to you. Might as well do the quote or the narration. Profound quote of the week. Darren, can you guess it? Okay, Darren, guess who wrote this? <laughs> no, I was going through this book and I had to highlight. I had to highlight some of the things. You know, talking about space exploration and planetary flourishing, and uh, he says. Spaceflight is reliant on a dialectic of hard technology and the fluid tenuousness of dreams. Ours is now the aim of science fiction and the method of witchcraft. Though it is right to scorn false hope, we must engineer for miracles. The pursuit of science has always been the province of magic. If you feel crushed of hope, then do the work. There is no other path to salvation. Whereas work is where inspiration arises. You are the radical thinkers. Do not limit your field of action. Do not close off your limit, limitless potential. Peter Gray. <laughs> uh, pretty good, eh? That is pretty good. Peter was a fun chat. I got a couple more here, too. Fun chat with a fun cat. <clears throat> I got another one here, too. That's weird. It was at the same page as the other one. That's Full strange. page. 
Oh, this is interesting. We say that psychomagia is the science and art of changing the mind at will. The attempt was, as Crowley put it, a fizzle. Fizzle. Fizzle, dizzle. But tangential effects are well known to practitioners who are well aware that the scientific language of modern magic is a conceit and that the invisible world is far stranger than our logic and procedures can account for. Ritual, for all the talk of precision, has outcomes which cannot always be reliably predicted. In the case of the Babylon working, a chain reaction was triggered and the fracture lines continued to spider out. The same could be said for the angelic work of Dee and Kelly, which inspired it, and so too the revelation of John. Revelation. One more. Whoa, breaks. One more, buddy. 293, I gotta find this last one here. If you go this far in the audio book without making a mistake, then I wouldn't have to <clears throat> edit so much. The supposed godmen that science fiction and occultism promised are not an esoteric or intellectual elite, but a predict predator class who pursue the sexless and deathless agenda of transhumanism. Wait, sexless? Yeah. I assumed it'd be oversexed. <clears throat> transhumanism becomes sexless. No sex bots? Well, I mean, it, just, it becomes... That's not sexless. Sexless between humans. But bots? <laughs> we get the bot? Yeah, you get the bot. All right. Well, that's not sex. <laughs> we come with a different word for that. Maybe it's uh, intimacy-less. Intimacy-less? Intimacy-less, yeah. Is yeah. that a word? Intimacy. Intimacy. <laughs> I don't get it. <laughs> Take us through that concert, ground. No, it's okay. No? You're not doing it? All right. Well, here. What, what, what's that noise? It looks military to me. Definitely military. Probably classified, too. Dish fire. Prism. Uh. Sidra Eagle. Sigma. Mannerkin. Artichoke. MK Ultra. What was Artichoke again? <clears throat> operation uh, Project. Artichoke was an operation. Well, I know. I, know. I think it was one of the MK Ultra ones. I feel like you should know them all. I can't remember the exact details of each of them. There's a whole bunch of sub, sub ones under the MK Ultra umbrella. A good overview of each. You should be like the of all the MK Ultra ones or all of all them. Of them. I have a Your huge Operation list Project of. Guy. I know, but I have a huge list that I haven't even got through yet. I mean, this is. This, I try to pick appropriate ones. Like this is very appropriate. This is Project Diana. You should write the Operation Project book. So this happens to happen. Does it mean you're extra serious if you take off your glasses? Point at me with them. I'm about to put them on, okay. so I can read. <laughs> okay. All right, let's hear it. This, this, one's, this is from Wikipedia, so take it with a grain of salt. It's very controlled right now. Um, happens to be from the same year as all this stuff was going on with Hubbard and Parsons and all that. 67? Six, 46. Oh. <laughs> You're not even close. <laughs> <laughs> and this is Project Diana, and this is named for the Roman moon goddess, moon goddess Diana. And it was an experimental project of the U.S. Army Corps in 46 to bounce radar signals off the moon and receive the reflected signals. This was the Great. first. I thought they couldn't do that until they put the one of those. See, lasers. this is the start no, of the no, moon, dude. This was the start of it. This, is this was the first experiment in radar astronomy and the first active attempt to probe another celestial body. Darren, this was the, this was the break in the virgin probe. 
of, of the celestial bodies. Another celestial body. <laughs> <laughs> was it Saturn? It was a Sagittarius. It was. <laughs> <laughs> it was the inspiration for later EME, Earth, Moon, Earth communication techniques. So this goes back to like the end of World War II. Um, on the laboratory site, a large transmitter receiver and antenna array were constructed for this purpose. Let's see, I'm going to get skipped through all the technical details of all that, the Doppler shift, the antenna pattern. <clears throat> Project Diana marked the birth of radar astronomy, later used to map Venus and other nearby planets, and was necessary precursor to the U.S. space program. I'm losing my voice. <clears throat> it was the first demonstration that terrestrial radio signals can penetrate the ionosphere, opening the possibility of radio communications beyond the Earth for space probes and human explorers. It also established the practice of naming space projects after Roman gods, Mercury and Apollo, for example. For example? Yeah. So they demonstrated the feasibility of uh, using the moon as a passive rate reflector to transmit radio signals from one point on Earth to the other, around the curve of the Earth. The Earth-Moon-Earth, or moon-bounce path, has been used in a few communication systems. One of the first was the secret U.S. military espionage PAMOR program. Oh, they call it a program and not a project. That's the passive moon relay in 1950, which sought to eavesdrop on the Soviet-Russian military radio communication by picking up stray signals reflected from the moon. The return signals were extremely faint, and the U.S. began secret construction of the largest parabolic antenna in the world at Sugar Grove, West Virginia, until it was abandoned in 62 as being too expensive. A more successful spinoff was the U.S. Navy Communication Moon Relay, or Operation Moon Bounce Communication System, which used the EME path for U.S. military communication. In 60, the system was inaugurated with a lunar relay link between Hawaii and Washington, D.C., Huh, that's pretty interesting. Today, Ooh, today, maybe it's a big satellite. Today, dish. the pro Project Diana site is part of the Camp Evans Historical District, InfoAge Science History Learning Center and Museum, and is maintained by the Ocean Monmouth Amateur Radio Club. Oh, oh, get this! Oh, get this! The antenna array was removed earlier and is now presumably lost. <laughs> of course. From the moon? So it's no. just lost. It's lost. They lost it. They lost the itinerary? Yeah. From the field? I guess that was with the the documents from the moon landing. It's all in the same spot. Oh, so yeah. They lost just like all that. They misplaced it. <clears throat> I think that Anyways, threw it to the dump. Interesting that it was the, around that same time, right? The year when, uh, when, they were, when they were doing that stuff. Yeah. 46? Yeah, 46, 47 to Roswell. 52. Yeah, right between Manhattan Project and Roswell. Year 52. 51. Right. Okay. Synchro broken. <laughs> uh, what do we got? That's it. Oh, I got, uh, so I'll read the note from Sheriel. Dear Grammarica team, enjoy $500 for as many years as I have been listening after my account expired. And... For your amazing 500 show achievement. I love you and your willingness to bravely explain to the world so many alternative viewpoints. Keep expanding, keep exploring. Many thanks. Awesome, thanks. We're not explaining anything to anyone. 
We're just letting other people explain things. Yeah, exactly. I guess we try to explain some things from time to time. Uh, if you guys do want to help out with some of that support, uh, support help us keep expanding. Uh, do help us keep going. That's right. And do check. Speaking of expired accounts, that is a thing that happens. I think the last time I was on the PayPal, it's something like two hundred expired accounts. Yeah. Uh, so if you could, we almost have, we almost have as many expired accounts as we do active accounts. Head over to your PayPal account, maybe check it out. There's a good chance your subscription might not be active anymore. PayPal don't like us. They shut them off. I'm not saying anything bad about PayPal. It's not what I'm doing. No, they do it to other shows, too. Like It just just goes goes off. It just shuts off. And they say the show asked us to cancel your payments. We're not disparaging PayPal in any way. No. And we're not not canceling your payments, either. Either. We're not doing that, either. We love you. America.ca slash support, if you can, when you can. This is show, like, 505 or something like that. If you could go, maybe you could do a one-time donation. doesn't have to be $500. It could be $50, $5. Go support. You could do a one-time donation, a uh, monthly, monthly donation. You could do a Stripe. You could do a Patreon. Yeah. Oh, we have can. new websites. Yeah. New Grammarica website. We also have a new Grammarica Outlawed website. Awesome. You could head over to both of those. You could go to Outlawed, sign up for Plus, get those extra shows, get that extra hour. Uh, all sorts exp- of stuff. It's not just COVID stuff either. We do all sorts of stuff. Oh yeah, we had a couple long. great episodes on China, and uh, we got a couple sort of like reality surfing, or no, not reality surfing, sort of quantum reality, sort of um, almost like Nassim Harriman type episodes coming up as well. Um, Darren, can you explain, or can I explain the what outlawed like the 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 plus is is basically it's an RSS feed to plug into your podcast player. Yes. So it's not something you can watch anywhere or anything like that. It's, it's solely audio. It's a f- and then you get your then you get the full two hour episodes or the full episodes, however long they may end up being, mm-hmm. uh, in a different feed. So you'll have like the free outlawed feed, and then you can always cancel that if you get if you sign up for the plus one because you get the full episode on the plus feed. Correct, Amundo. Yeah. yeah, I think we'll end up stopping streaming eventually. We stream the first half on Rockfin, basically. For now. For now. There's a lot of talk about stopping streaming altogether. Yeah. Right now. Right now, but we're not sure what to do yet. We don't. We haven't decided. Because we're, we're just streaming like Outlawed on Rockfin and then the other show, this show, we're doing on YouTube and Rockfin. Yeah. But who knows how long that's going to last too. Yeah, so we know. might just scrap all the video all together <laughs> except for the actual video content that we do. Yeah. So we'll see what happens. We'll keep you posted. Maybe you could email Graham, let him know what you think about that. If you're one of the few people that do tune in and watch videos and stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, there is a bunch of these people that only watch on YouTube. We should actually mention this on the next stream we do on YouTube. Yeah. Because, you know, it might be time for you guys to move on to other places. It's not my place to say. If there's a bunch of you, we'll figure it out. Yeah, exactly. We'll still do it if there's a bunch of people that want it. So, yeah, support the show if you can. Uh, of course, the other way to support the show is to head over to that grammaroutlaw.ca. Sign up for Plus. Huge help. Uh, you can also rate the show as well. Rate the show. Share send the in, show. Send in content like synchronicities and your trip reports or UFO sightings or speaking stuff of, like that. Speaking of books and audio books, we got a whole collection going on over at uh, on Adult, Adult Brain. I haven't updated the website yet, but we've got like... Hamlet's Mill, Mysticism and Logic is out now. My book, A Canadian Shame, is out on audio now. 
Secret Doctrine 1, Secret Doctrine 2, Secret Teachings. Of all ages, yeah. Of all ages. There's just a whole slew of books over there. We did Eric P. Anthony's book as well, Song of the Immortal Beloved, which is like spiritual alchemy. It's a huge tome there. We did the updated version of that. There is a ton of books out there. Uh, We got quite the esoteric catalog coming together. Head over to wherever you get your audio books. Type in Graham Dunlop. Type in Grimerica. They'll all come up. Grab some of those, take a listen, share them around, let us know what you think. Rate them. Rate them. Rate them high. Review them. You review my book too, if you don't mind. Canadian the, Shame, right? CanadianShame.ca. People have been a little triggered by the title, left me a few nasty reviews. Wow, really? Oh, yeah. Bad title. The other one said bad search results. Bad, what does that mean? He didn't like that it was at the search, it came up in his search results. What? I don't understand. I don't understand. Like in the Google search, it came yeah. up? So then he reviews the book? Yes. Wow. Uh, that's, uh, I think it was in an Amazon search. A Canadian champ. So Maybe what? I could start reading the uh, bad reviews one day, but not today. I don't know. I thought it had a bunch of good reviews, too. It does. There's um, many good reviews. Yeah. yeah. Head over, canadianshame.ca. Oh, that's on audio, too. It's on audio, Yeah. Too. Read by, as, read, as read by Graham Dunlop. Yeah. This Graham guy, he's okay. It's all I could afford. <laughs> <laughs> Sitting at home all weekend reading. Sitting at home all weekend reading my book. CanadianShame.ca, America.ca slash support. What else we got? Contact at thecabin.com. We've launched that Montana tour. Arizona's filling up fast. That's the next live event as of right now. There's oh, not going to be any more yeah. 2021 events now that the Scablands is sold out. Um, Arizona's ma- Magic on the Mountain, right? Yeah, that's about half gone right now. Nice. So if you want to get in on that. Contact at thecabin.com slash magic and uh, contact at thecabin.com slash Montana if you want to get in on that Montana trip uh, with Randall and the boys in the spring. It's already about one-third sold out. Uh, it's going to be a fantastic time out there. Other than that, we love you guys, and we hope you enjoy this fantastic chat with the fantastic cat, Peter Gray. Today we've got Peter Gray with us. He's an author and co-founder of Scarlet Imprint, an amazing publisher of occult and esoteric books. And you've written quite a few yourself, Peter. Your latest one, The Two Antichrist, was fantastic. So thanks for joining us. Oh, my pleasure. Great to be on Grimerica. Yeah, this is, uh, we just noticed Gordon White's book on there. We've had Gordon on a couple times. Um, yeah, and you, you sent us that book. We really appreciate that. And uh, your book, I, I, it just felt like a fresh take on this whole thing. So I thought, you know, we should talk about it. Then we could talk about other 
other occult and esoteric things as well. But I mean, the, your book, like it's been in the in the popular culture for a while. The last few years, like the whole Jack Parsons and you know the Babylon workings, and people have been talking about it in a really synchro mystic way. And and but your book seemed to just really give a fresh take on the whole thing. I mean, it it really just intrigued me from start to finish. So I really really appreciate that. Yeah, thanks. I appreciate it. It's um, it's one of those stories that people think they know in the occult, um, in particular. But when you start to break it down, there's still a lot of the story that hasn't been told in in quite the way that I've managed to do it with with two antichrists. Um, really, in terms of being able to go to a whole range of different sources and different voices, and you know, finding these other texts which kind of reference it and giving a giving a much fuller full of view of like Jack's internal world and also the world of L. Ron Hubbard and the other characters who've been, who've been somewhat kind of removed from the story in the way that it's been told. Um, I know a lot of people will have in, encountered the Parsons story again with, with the, the debacle of the, the strange angel TV show, um, which <laughs> quite interestingly, they canceled after one series um, partly because it was dreadful, but partly because um, L. Ron Hubbard was about to kind of enter stage left. Uh, so there's, there's about, you know, there's only a couple of frames of L. Ron Hubbard and then, then mysteriously for some reason, the, the second series didn't, didn't turn up. Oh, oh, so what was the debacle about that? Do you think? So, well, I think that, uh, I think Scientology probably still has some power within, within the world of Hollywood. Um, and I think some strings might've been pulled on that, uh, because this is, this is clearly a, a part of, Scientology history that they don't really want to enter into the public domain. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and that, that's something that's been the case with the, the whole Crowley Parsons Hubbard story since pretty much the beginning. I mean, first of all, we had, we had Scientology saying that Hubbard had gone in and broken up a black magic cult. This was sort of the big, the big cover story that they ran with. And I found when I was researching the book that, that they repeated the story. I think it was, I think it was as, uh, at least as recent as the 80s, and they 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 added a new detail to it. They decided that that Robert Heinlein was in fact Hubbard's handler, and that uh, that was the that was the op that was being done on Jack. Um, but there's no there's no truth in that at all. Heinlein was Heinlein Heinlein certainly wasn't doing that. Um, for people who've read his Stranger in a Strange Land, um, which was turned into um, the man who fell to earth with David Bowie, um, Heinlein was very much Thelema adjacent. And um, there's a there's a famous essay in the culture kind of counterculture um, by a guy called Adam Rostock called "Whence Came a Stranger," um, which which gives kind of the the gives a very clear indication that that that, that the book itself was really Thelema in code because all the sci-fi guys who were who were around Jack and Hubbard was one of them. They were all they were all wild libertarian kind of like loose, fast living people, um, and they were open to a lot of seemingly crazy ideas, um, many of which they found were coming true. So that's what I find so amazing about it. I mean, I, I kind of want to step back a bit about and just yeah, in in general, let's let's just for people that aren't too familiar with the whole. The whole thing, it, just maybe mention in brief, just a real brief summary, and then I want to get, jump back into the whole sci-fi portion of it. But the JPL okay. and the doing the Crowley stuff, and you know, for Babylon working, maybe just really quick summary of that for people that yeah, not familiar um, with. 
So Jack Parsons was a uh, was a rocket scientist and an occultist um, living in a mansion in uh, Pasadena, and he was both the man who started the American space program. When people were skeptical about the fact that we could land man on the moon, Jack was one of the early rocketeers who was convinced that that this could be done. So his kind of reading of science fiction fed into the way that he was um, he was pursuing his science career. So he would he would literally read the Astounding magazine, which was the the pulp sci-fi magazine of the time, and and he'd find stories in there that seemed to be telling the future to him. So he read a book. He read a story by a guy called Jack Williamson um, called Crucible of Power, and having read that, Jack had the realization that he could make a solid rocket fuel, and the solid rocket fuel that Jack developed is the critical element that put man on the moon. So without science fiction, there would be no, there would be, you know, there'd be no man on the moon without Jack, who was at the same time as pursuing his science, um, devoted to the study of the works of Alistair Crowley and was a member of the last surviving lodge of the OTO in the world, the Ordo Templi Orientis, um, Crowley's Magical Order. Um, Jack was in a kind of critical place between the worlds of science, science fiction writers and magic, and all of them, all of them were intermeshed. There was no, there was no sense of a difference between these worlds. So Jack, um, Jack ran a pretty crazy house, which he filled up with all the kind of bohemians and artists <laughs> of, of of the area. He placed a he placed a small ad for it, you know, to, essentially to scare anyone off who wasn't a freak. And one of the people who ended up moving into this kind of madhouse this place of kind of experimental living. Um, you can think of it as in the same way you see the communes developing in the 60s. This is very much a, a, a pre-runner to those kind of experiments and living, um, all very much free love. And he invited, um, he invited the recently uh, uh, demobbed L. Ron Hubbard, uh, who he knew as a science fiction writer and was a, a huge fan of his work. Um, and Hubbard had just left the Navy and needed somewhere to stay. And when he saw this house filled with loose living, crazy people, um, he decided that he wanted a piece of the action. So Hubbard moved into the, the parsonage, the mansion with Jack, and soon ran off with Jack's girlfriend um, because they were in a they were living in a they were living in a free love setting. Um, and so Jack lost his girlfriend to to Elron Hubbard. This is all before Dianetics, before Scientology. Um, Hubbard was just a science fiction writer, just a guy who'd come out of the Navy, um, but a guy with a lot of tall tales, a guy who was interested in, um, he was interested in psychic phenomena. He was interested in channeling. He was, you know, he was a, he was a, a natural medium. He was interested in hypnosis. He was pursuing all the kind of dark arts that are, um, that are contingent with, with being a, being a magician. And so Jack was really struck by him, even when he ran off with his girlfriend, you know, the two, the two just managed to keep a lid on it. But when this happened, um, Jack decided that he needed to perform a piece of magic to get a new girlfriend. I mean, the, the whole Babylon working was, was, was not initially, um, a huge, um, a huge undertaking. It wasn't designed to, to transform the world. It wasn't designed to bring through the goddess of the apocalypse. <laughs> At first stage, it was, it was simply Jack needed a new girlfriend. Um, and Hubbard was the guy who he did the magic with to try and accomplish this end. 
So the two of them sat down and they did a piece of Enochian working um, to summon an elemental spirit, um, not a goddess, just an elemental spirit. So kind of further down the further further down the spiritual hierarchy, like not a not a big thing. So they did this work and um, and they had a, a series of phenomena occur. So there was a there were there were lamps blown blown over. There was a windstorm. There was a, a spirit appeared in the kitchen, which they threw a magic sword at to to stick in its place. I mean, there were all kinds of kind of things going on, showing that something was afoot. And then Jack and Ron went out into the desert, and Jack had a sense that it was done, that the work had had been successful. And so when they went back to the parsonage, they found Marjorie Cameron on the doorstep. And Marjorie Cameron was a, a red-haired, green-eyed um, uh, lady from Iowa, but of Irish uh, descent, who fitted exactly the the image of the elemental that they were trying to pick up. So he was the proof of the operation. This this woman had appeared. Um, this was a you know a great success. Jack and her um, fell into bed for two weeks. Everything's going great. Um, then Marjorie goes back to New York to break up with her boyfriend and Jack does something new. Hubbard's away, Cameron is away, and he goes out into the desert by himself. And this is, this is the Mojave Desert where he'd been doing all of his rocket tests. So it's, it's a, a place that he knew well. It's a, it's a strange environment, which is kind of like a mix of the natural wilderness and also kind of like industrial wreckage. So it's a very kind of post-apocalyptic kind of setting. Um, he also did work around Devil's Gate Dam, um, which which comes up a lot in, in Los Angeles folklore. So he went into the desert and he performed another set of rituals. And this time he heard a voice. And the voice which spoke to him, um, because Hubbard had been the, the scribe in the first working hubbard had hubbard had channeled a lot of the work in in the first in the first piece the voice that spoke to him um dictated a book to him and she's dictated a book to him um which is known now as the book of babylon or Liber 49 and the book did something very profound it said to jack that this was the fourth book of alistair crowley's book of the law so Crowley's religion is founded upon a text called Libra Vel Legis, the Book of the Law, um, which is a book in three chapters that Crowley got in a series of sex magical workings with his wife in the desert in Egypt in 1904. Uh, and this voice comes through and it says to Jack, this is the fourth book. This is the book that Crowley didn't know was coming that completes the whole cycle. And so it's a major heresy. It's a, it's a huge and terrifying heresy because Crowley's still arrive, uh, alive and Jack is sending him money in England to kind of keep him in cigars and champagne as he kind of like he goes down into his, his old age and, and quite, quite soon, soon death. So, so Jack's in trouble if he, if he, if he tells, tells daddy about the book. Um, and the book also contains a series of kind of quite terrifying sounding prophecies so Jack comes back and, and uh, Hubbard returns and Hubbard, Hubbard regales him with a vision of a woman on a giant cat-like beast. And Jack, Jack hears this and he's like, well, this is, this is an image from the book of Revelation. This is the image of 
of Babylon and the Beast. This is the image in Crowley's Thoth Parrow of lust. This is the, you know, this is this is another proof that something's really happening. So they do a three-day working to birth Babylon to, to bring this the force of this goddess through. And the idea that Jack has is that Crowley's book is very much um very much a, a book of war and destruction. I mean, if you read if you read Libra of Legis, it's a you know, it's a little bit like the Quran. It's pretty um it's pretty swords and fire all the way through. And Jack is Jack is um Jack's musing on this because we've just had the Trinity test. So the, the nuclear bomb has gone off and the world is changed forever. So Jack is looking at the, the power of the atom that's been unleashed in the world and the way that the world has changed. And he's going, oh, my God, the atom bomb is this Horus force. It's this force that Crowley was talking about. And we need a way to kind of tame this force. We need a way to direct this force to prevent the destruction of the world, to prevent everything going. And, and Jack's solution to this is, is Babylon. Jack's solution to this is this female saviour figure um, who he's trying to decide whether whether she's a goddess who who exists beyond the abyss, like in standard Thelemic um, doctrine, where she's not incarnate on earth, or as the voice has told him, that she's about to manifest on the earth, she's about to appear. And there's a sort of back and forth where Jack is trying to decide whether Marjorie Cameron is in fact the goddess um, and whether whether she's the one and whether this is the beginning of a radical new age of sexual liberation and transformation, which is very much what we see in the 60s. So when we look at 60s counterculture, when we look at the, the kind of world that we all find ourselves in, we can see it very much in terms of the Babylon working as having been predicted by a lot of the a lot of the the themes that Jack was involved with. So that's the that's the brief that's the brief version of the Babylon working. So this was this is probably the most famous modern magical um, exploit that that has occurred. I mean, you know, there aren't you can't you can't find another rocket scientist in in the occult. I mean, you can't find another person who has this, this level of cultural cut through, you know, certainly with Philema. Um, so it's a major, major, major event. And what I do with the book is I look not only at that story, which we know very well, but the later story where we move into the Antichrist material. Um, and that that's certainly not something that that's that's very clear in people in the public domain. Yeah, even even the the normal perception I think of the Babylon working seems to be very limited to that one sort of ceremony or one weekend or whatever it was, the few days. And and you've already explained that that's much more than that. And yeah. then the two yeah, Antichrist I mean, thing is is fascinating. But but to jump back to the sci fi thing a little bit, which is super fascinating to me, is because Clark was around that time as well, and then Herbert Herbert from. Dune. Dune was Dune. shortly after that, but even Heinlein and Hubbard, like all these sci-fi writers that well, are so famous today. When did Star like, Trek like come out? With Rod? I don't know. I feel like Rodden that Rodden. was probably, you know, there's a couple of those things that came out that sort of opened up those. Is this where like Contact at the Desert starts? Contact yeah, in the Desert? Sort of, there's a sort of, um, there, are a few, there are a few ways that people try and spin this. So the sci-fi writers were certainly all looking to the future, and many of them are kind of Thelema adjacent. So you can read, you can read Star Trek in quite, a, in quite a, a, a Crowleyan fashion, 
and say, well, this this actually looks like a kind of thalemic future that they're talking about. <laughs> it's very egalitarian. There are men and women working together, exploring space. I mean, it's it's all it's all in the same area. Um, but the the critical thing that after Jack dies, um, one of the things that the, the Marjorie Marjorie sees a UFO. Oh, um, and she's probably not a very reliable witness. Um, as is often the case with 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 these kind of sightings, um, but Marjorie, you know, Marjorie had mental health issues. Uh, she did a lot of drugs, um, so but she certainly saw a UFO, and she thought that this was perhaps somehow a proof of the of the Babylon working having been effective, of a doorway having been opened and something having come through, and that's. That, that motif we see come up in Occulture with Kenneth Anger. So when Kenneth Anger makes Lucifer Rising, and there's a there's a kind of quite famous iconic image of um, of a UFO appearing um, on the Giza Plateau above the Sphinx in Lucifer Rising, with this like incredible kind of Bobby Bosley like guitar music riffing on in the background. Um, obviously, before Bobby falls in with Charles Manson and. Uh, and that crew. Um, but the reason for that is because Kenneth Grant and Marjorie Cameron are uh, hooked up in a, in a really kind of unlikely Los Angeles kind of, uh, kind of disaster where, um, where Jack having, having died, and we'll, we'll go back and do the Jack death story. Jack having died, Marjorie spent her life kind of trying to, trying to find Jack again. Um, and at one stage her and, um, her and Kenneth Anger are taking cross-sex hormones. So she's taking testosterone and he's taking estrogen. Wow. And they're, they're both in a kind of a crazy attempt to, to, to mesh their kind of like dysfunctional sexualities. Cause you know, Anger's, 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 I think pretty much exclusively homosexual. Um, Cameron was pretty omnivorous, but she, she did prefer men. So the UFO thing kind of explodes and, and, and all the all the source of sightings that happen after it. So the way that I frame it in the book is that the Babylon working is between between um, Manhattan Project Kennedy and Roswell, right? And Roswell, I mean, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and there are, there have been some crazy attempts to tie to tie Jack to Roswell, um, but my I won't I won't I won't do them um, I won't do them on this podcast. But there's a there's a there's a conspiracy called the Collins Elite that people yeah, can look at. Yeah. Um, where where there's the idea that Jack opened a doorway and UFOs aren't actually extraterrestrials, but they're they're the devil, and uh, that that the apocalypse is coming because of what Jack did. Yeah, which which is, which is it's partial truth. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, but the, the but the whole sci-fi influence, like the fact that so much of our modern space program started then. I mean, this is yeah. Jack and JPL and then it became NASA after Jack had died and, and, and Hubbard starting his own massive religion. That's it's influenced culture like crazy and all yeah. the, all the big names in, in, in sci-fi, not all the big names, but a lot of the big names in sci-fi back then. I mean, it's, it's just mind boggling to me how much of an influence that whole thing has had in, in our modern day. I'm still yeah, I mean, not, convinced that the whole nasa thing isn't just some occult fucking church or something i mean like the moon measurements and stuff i'm 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 of the mind that i don't even think they're real 
Either the moon's not real or the numbers aren't real. So pick one. But it's, you can't have both. Either the either the moon isn't what we think it is, and it's made by people or something else, or the numbers are all fake. And so all the weird correlations between size and spin and rotation and all this other stuff, you know, is just crazy occult numbers that are written in books at NASA because NASA is not a space place. It's some crazy occult fucking... I don't know, but I, I, that's not even a question, but I feel like you've got some thoughts on it. <laughs> I think, I think that the NASA, NASA appears to be an occult, um, an occult minded agency, um, in a variety of ways. It's hard to see how coherent their space theology is, but they certainly have some ideas. I mean, when you read the documentation and they're, they're clearly looking for, they're stating that they're looking for the remains of alien civilizations. They're aware that there is a possibility that that they will find something on Mars. Um, that that looks pretty definite to me. They don't like to they don't like to make a big song and dance about it because you know whatever people's view is on the face or you know any of these other kind of like structures whether they're whether they are anything. But if we found life on Mars, I don't think NASA would. Well, the the remains of life on Mars. I don't think NASA would be surprised. I think they're looking for it. Yeah. Which is exciting. I, I, I'm surprised that they're not more open about it. Yeah. Well, I think it's, I mean, it's coming. I mean, the soft disclosure is coming. I mean, they're already talking about yep. the, you know, the UFOs are getting more money to start looking at all this stuff. So UFOs, from but, the moon. but, but I think Darren's also talking about like the, the creation of NASA as well, right. From some of the Nazi I don't know uh, what NASA pa- project, project, <laughs> project paperclip and all that. I mean, well, you have all that. You have Werner von Braun coming in from Project Paperclip. You have all that stuff. You have these crazy occultists starting NASA. And then we have to trust their numbers, which tell us that, you know, 27.3 rotations of the moon. The moon's 27.3% the size of the Earth. And it works the other way, too. 366 days, 0.259 days for an Earth revolution. And it's 200 or 366.175 percent the size of the moon i mean then you've got the the correlations with the sun and the mass dynamics and the fact that it seems to be heavily weighted on the front side to the point that there's we can't even like we can't even orbit the thing properly we have to make corrections in our orbit because there's such a mass difference between the front and the back of the thing did you see the did you see the wobble thing that they were talking about uh a couple of days ago, I missed all things. that. I missed all oh, that. I heard it was going to cause some flooding, though, or something. Yeah, they're saying they're saying um, twenty twenty thirty twenty thirty five. They're saying that there's going to be pretty major flooding due to a wobble in the moon. Um, so I think that I think that speculation and talk about that will will continue to rise. Pardon the pun. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> Oh man. So what about, uh, what about like speaking of interplanetary societies, like was Arthur Clark, uh, um, with his British interplanetary society and proposing satellites back in 45, like, is that adjacent to any of this where they all connected? Um, I don't, I don't know if Arthur C. Clark was, I'm not sure. Cause I mean, that, you know, that was happening across the pond in the same year, like the same years. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's so incredible to me. Yeah. So what about, um, the importance of sci-fi for, for us nowadays, even, I mean, you know, um, it's, it, it, I feel like my dad used to say to me, if, if you can imagine it, it can happen. Right. And, and I feel like is sci-fi are these people like, like 
person's channeling that little book in the in the desert and a lot of the channelers that that yeah. have amazing books and and a lot of it is very sci-fi-ish um are they picking up uh from something or i mean i feel like it it starts with an idea and then it 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 starts to almost like an egregore develop into something real yeah and yeah, i mean I, that's why i feel like sci-fi and all these like this fiction is so important because it really will lead us towards something. Yeah, I think we may well be on the verge of another science fiction renaissance. I wouldn't be surprised with with the release of something as big as the Dune film this year. Um, I think that people are going to reassess the the whole vision of science fiction and the whole sense of what it means to be human and why we're here and what our purpose is. And I think one of the things that, that humanity has lost is a sense of common purpose. And that was something that, that, the, that the moon landings gave us. I mean, there was a sense of common purpose that's rather more constructive than, than, than direct fighting, shooting war with the Russians. Um, and again, as tensions escalate over China, it would probably do us a lot of good to, to think about what we share as humanity and think about our destiny in the stars rather than rather than engaging in too much saber rattling, especially with the nuclear arsenal still there. Yeah. Or a big rock coming from space. I mean, yeah. you know, how many yeah. times has, has civilization been reset due to some other ex, extraneous uh, circumstance? So I'm Yeah. You know. I mean, these are these are the reasons why people should be thinking very seriously about the Mars colony. I you know I get flack for it, but uh, me too. <laughs> but but Elon Musk, Elon Musk is right on in this sense. If we if we don't become an interplanetary civilization, the chance of us being destroyed by one of these events, whether it's ecological collapse, whether it's a meteor strike, whether it's nuclear war. I mean, really, if we if we want to if we want to keep this game going, then. Then we really need to we really need to colonize space. We really need to move to Mars. Have you heard of that um, religion, astronism, at all? It started started in the UK, I think. Um, we had the fellow on who created it. It's fascinating. No, I missed that one. I missed yeah, that space you, call. Yeah, I mean, uh, it, it seems like it would fit too. right. Really it seems like well. it would fit right <laughs> in with like your your yeah. like after reading yeah, yeah, your yeah. book, I was like, oh my god, this would be like the occult aspect of astronism, but it's very non-dogmatic. It's very much about the, the feeling that we get from looking at the stars and, and realizing yeah. that we have to move off this planet at some point. It's, yeah. And it yeah. goes back to referencing ancient religions all the way back in time where we're looking at the stars and so much is based on astral mythology from, from, the, from the stars. Yeah. I mean, when you look at both Crowley and Parsons, the, the big things that they do is they, they go out under the stars. Yeah. Um, you know, and... If you look also uh, uh, modern magicians, so if you read if you read Gordon White's Starships, you know Gordon has Gordon's had this experience. Um, this is pretty common amongst magicians. There's you know there are there are a few clear rituals, and Crowley Crowley points away with it with um, with Lieber Nu is 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 his right for that. But it's it's not very different to the experience that anyone can have if they if they take some friends and they drive out into the desert or somewhere where they have a have a good a good picture of the sky and you know with or without psychedelics have have that experience of of we're monkeys on a rock and look how big and beautiful this universe is and that that sense of scale i think 
is very much needed, especially when a majority of the population spend all of their time, you know, anchored onto a phone this far away from their face, you know, taking square pictures themselves for social media likes. It kind of resets you quite radically when you when you spend some time and 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 look out into time and space like that. Yeah, we had a we had a, a an event. Well, you have your own space. Call. Let's not just gloss past that. Graham's what? like an avid go out under no. the stars and summon things. Guy. No, 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 yep. no, no. I haven't. So, is done that, it do you think while. this is a good thing or? Well, hell yeah. Okay, <laughs> okay, good. Because he gets he gets it both ways. He gets it both yeah. ways. Some people are yeah. like, "You better watch that," that. and other yeah. people are like, "Fucking party on." Yeah. Yeah. So you think that's fine? Because if the UFOs are from hell, then I mean, we got to think about that. <laughs> if the UFOs from hell, then I'm in real trouble. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Probably yeah. most of us. Yeah, I think yeah. I think so. Yeah. yeah. I mean, obviously, like as a magician, I'd say you know take precautions, but but play the fucking game. I mean, we're here. We're here to play the game. I like it. I like that attitude. Take precautions, but play the fucking game. That's fantastic. I mean, there's also the whole black triangle thing. And I mean, I wanted to ask you about, cause you know, a lot of, a lot of, you know, your book is about like, Hey, let's get off this planet and let's, let's, let's sort of manifest that in a magical sense as well. But what about trying to manifest the, all these people that are flying around in black triangles that might be leaving the planet already and get them to, you know, disclose some information. Yeah, I think there is. I think that there is scope for people to pursue the kind of work that was going on in America, in various circles, both elite and otherwise, right. with with using methods of contacting or trying to contact. Um, particularly, we saw that with seance work. We saw that with Ouija. I mean, these have these have always been very popular ways of trying to establish those channels of communication. Um, and again, we've seen it with psychedelic drugs as well. You know. The only the only caveat I always have with these things is that you need to check your sources. You know, it's very easy to get carried away with seeming revelations that turn out not to be. But I think it's it's one of the things that people have shied away from because they're frightened of the risk. They're frightened of they're frightened of, of getting communication and magic. Magic is about that. Magic is about spirit contact, and that's very much the way that things have changed in the in the occult since. Um, oh, chaos magic. You know, probably since Kenneth Grant. I mean, one of one of the one of the critical things with 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 Kenneth Grant, who was the uh, the UK student of of Crowley. Um, he was his secretary, uh, you know, up until Crowley died, and he formed a group called the Typhonian OTO which is not the official Californian Caliphate OTA, um, but had a very different take on things. And Kenneth Grant pursued the UFO thing um, in quite a radical way with his focus on, um, his focus on Lam. So Crowley did a portrait um, of an entity called Lam, which looks like kind of a classic gray, or people say it looks like a classic gray, but the eyes are very small. So it's, it's you know, it's a bit of a stretch. Um, but Grant, Grant saw this picture and he thought it was really important. He got it from Crowley and he, he pursued, he pursued this thesis via, um, HP Lovecraft and various other kind of like literary sources. And he kind of cut and mixed all of these things into his, his understanding of, of what magic was and where it should go. But he was very much about contact. 
Um, but he was also like Lovecraft, not quite sure whether this was a good thing or a bad thing. And he kind of shifts about in his text as to whether it's something we should be doing or shouldn't be doing. Yeah, that's interesting. So what about for people that want to dabble into this? I mean, it, it, like you meant, you did mention, you know, pr- sort of be careful, protect yourself or whatever. I mean, sure. there is there is like a risk, right, of, of contacting something that you shouldn't be or that you're not ready for. Or I mean, yeah. what what just before I forget to ask this and we lose track, because I feel like it's well, a real important time. Because I always have people asking you me. You like, do it how accidentally. Do I- because I don't consider myself a magician, but some people would probably consider me a magician. So do, <laughs> so do I need to be careful? Because I'm not actually doing ritual. I just do it all through lifestyle and mindset. You're more of a new thought magician. I mean, which is uh, which is another question I had for you because it kind of mixes yeah. in. New thought blended into a lot of the stuff these guys were doing. Yeah, the, the, real, the real thing that the, the magicians have missed is the way in which a lot of magic did blend into new thought, and a lot of the a lot of the stuff that's in the new age is stuff that that magicians kind of were stupid and didn't follow up on. So the intention aspect of it, or I remember, I love how yeah. Gordon put it when he's like, "If the magicians would just look at the new fucking in the new thought parking lot, they'll see how much nicer the cars are." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a it's a damn it's a damn good point. Yeah, um, and they did. They they looked at it with a with a with a few things. So um, one of the guys that I mentioned um, in the book is a is a guy called Kue, who who he was one of the first people with these affirmations. And he'd say, "You every day you wake up and you repeat twenty four times um, in every in every day and every way I'm getting better and better." This was his like affirmation, and he he was like a huge. Um, he was a huge hit in America with this. And the Thelemites, the magicians at the time, they kind of saw this and they thought, my God, we can, we can do this. And so they tried to market it. They tried to create a hybrid thing called psychomagia. Um, and they produced like a, they were going to produce like a rosary so that you could count off the repetitions of the, of the mantra when you said it every morning. And they were aware that there was a crossover between these two things, but it's only it's only people like Hubbard who really kind of like, like went after this. Me- mechanized kind of it. Like, yeah. Yeah. I think the magicians kind of ran away from it a little bit. I, th- I think there was, there was a, there was a, a reticence to go in this direction. Um, but there's good, there's good technology and there's good people there. What happened I mean, in psychomagia talk- then? What happened to that? Uh, it just fizzled out. If, yeah. Just, it just didn't, it just didn't quite work. They were kind of playing around with it. This was the, um, this was the Canadian Lodge, I think, we're, we're doing this with Fratarakat. Um, they were talking about this, um, and Crowley, Crowley, Crowley thought it was a bad idea. But, um, but they tried it, and it didn't, didn't really take. But they, they, produced, um, they produced a few little bits. But, but, it's but, all that. I mean, but Hubbard really, really sort of mechanized the whole thing, and that, that's what... Yeah, Hubbard went for it. I mean, Hubbard, like Crowley, was voracious. He read everything. He chased up things. He... He met the crazy people and he tried to get hold of their secrets and find out what worked. Um, perhaps the difficult thing that you find with Scientology is that, that Hubbard kept stuff for himself. It didn't necessarily, it didn't necessarily go out in the teachings to the to to the minions. <laughs> um, so, but going back to protection, yeah, like right. this is something the New Age all, all know. It's basic spiritual hygiene. It's like you know, keep a diary. Um, don't believe everything that the voices tell you. So, 
so you don't go fucking crazy. Um, check in with your friends. Make sure you can still go out and buy a cup of coffee without feeling you're being followed by the men in black. These are <laughs> bad signs. Um, <laughs> keep yourself healthy. Eat the right food. Um, salt water bath is like a classic thing that people need to do and generally don't. Like, well, I do this all the time. Does it count if I just yeah. use my Epsom salts? Epsom salts is, is great. Perfect. If you're doing that, you want to say a little affirmation when you're doing that. You want to you want to like consciously think about what you're doing and just add your intentionality to that. That's a really good thing to do. Really important. So intention is very important too when it comes to hugely this. Hugely important, right? hugely. And that's one of the big lessons of Crowley. Crowley was was strongly about intentionality. I mean, although popularly we think of about Crowley in a very high ritual sense, we think about magic circles, we think about all the equipment. Um, when he was writing with Jack at the time, and you look at their correspondence, Jack's arguing for for all of the high ceremonial, and Crowley's writing back and going, no, it's simpler than that. Um, and this is particularly in regard to sex magic, because Crowley, Crowley boiled it all down to intentionality, um, intentionality with the use of sex and or drugs. That was his, that was his ultimate point. He was like, we get down to this, we get down to kind of a tantric yoga approach. He didn't really have that much respect for Jack, did he? I mean, a couple of, you, you wrote a couple yeah. of the, of yeah, the, his yeah. letters in, in yeah, your book. I, and I, I was like, believe, <laughs> I cannot believe the idiocy of these goats. Um, he wrote to, to about, about Jack and Hubbard. Uh, and then he says, and no disrespect to goats. He was, um, he was really, the problem is that that Crowley's dying in England while Jack is while, while Jack's having a kind of like a wild time in California, and Crowley is uh, Crowley is writing letters and receiving letters from from all of the people there, and he's playing them off against each other because Crowley is also a bit of a shitty character, um, and he's also trying to work out who he's going to pass everything on to. So to start with, he thinks it's this guy called Wilfred Smith, who's an Englishman who headed up the lodge. But then he gets letters back from other people and he goes, oh, no, Wilfred's sleeping with everyone in the lodge. He's turning it into a sex. He's turning it into a love cult. This is not what I mean. Um, so he tells Wilfred that that um, that he should go away and try to discover which God he is and then come back and tell him <laughs> when he's discovered, which is just a polite way of kind of like getting him out the door. Do your 40 and days makes, and 40 nights in the yeah, desert. and Yeah. And then he makes Jack head of the lodge. Um, and, and then, then Jack seems to be going off the rails and Jack tenders his resignation and then Crowley doesn't accept it. And so it's, Crowley, Crowley is a shit with everybody. So him being a shit with Jack is not really a great surprise. Um, eventually, he hands over the reins of the organization to a guy called Grady McMurtry, who was an American guy who'd served in the Second World War. And this really, this really impressed Alistair because Crowley thought that the head of a, of a, of a neo-Templaric order should be blooded. And the fact that um, McMurtry had served... Um, with, with distinction meant that he was the candidate. But what Crowley didn't foresee is that when McMurtry came back to California, he ended up having a crazy adventure where he took a whole bag load of STP and LSD, got washed up, got, got washed out to sea, and then um, and then deposited like unconscious back on the beach. And 
doesn't seem to have recovered from that wow. particular episode. Wow. And McMurtry's it kind of he's the crazy freewheeling like hippie uncle who runs OTO Incorporated <laughs> for um for a period. Um and I I hear good and bad things about him. Um, you know, but but that's yeah, that that was that was Alistair. So Parsons was the most talented guy. Um but yeah, there are there are criticisms. There are criticisms out there, and they're pretty famous ones. And then, and then he. I mean, it's just so sad that he he passed away pretty quickly. Fifty two, was it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was. Uh, yeah, fifty two. I mean, that was yeah. in the and sort of right after all this stuff. I mean, it's so yeah. So he he did um, he did the the Babylon working. So this was like um, three months, January to March forty six. Um, and people assume that things went wrong and Jack died kind of immediately afterwards. But in 1948, Jack um, Jack did his second working. Jack did his Antichrist working in 1948 and he died in 52. So that's going to be um, six years after the first working. Yeah. So it's a good it's a good period of time. It's not an immediate make contact. Everything's happening. <laughs> bang. Um, and for the for the listeners who aren't up to speed with the story, um, Jack, as a chemist, was leaving um, and packing up his lab, and he dropped a vial of fulminate of mercury, which is highly explosive, uh, which which detonated on on impact with the floor in in the storeroom and blew up the entire place. And Jack died. Um, Jack died having lost his arm and half his face of burns in a pretty horrific fashion. Jesus. Um, was there any like suspect of foul play? It's a huge this is like the Yeah, there's a there's a couple of stories. Um one theory was um Jack had testified about a guy who um who had he he testified about how to make a pipe bomb um and ended in a in a trial which ended up with this guy being convicted um of a of a car bombing. So there was an initial theory that that this guy had come back and placed a bomb and killed and 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 taken his revenge that way. Um, uh, Cameron, Jack's partner, had a whole range of of kind of conspiracy theories about other ways in which he might have died, um, but none of them none of them really hold up. I mean, it's pretty. It, the material that Jack was working with was highly explosive. I mean, dropping dropping that wood would would blow stuff up. People had commented previously about some of the sloppy ways that he dealt with high explosives. I mean, when when they started off um, their rocketeering, the guys were were referred to on campus as the Suicide Squad due to their uh, due to their ability to to blow shit up by mistake. So it's within it's entirely possible that, that 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 happened, and there there have been attempts to find a shadowy figure who may have finished Jack off. There have been attempts to say maybe it was military intelligence because um, one of the things Jack was going through is he'd lost his security clearance because he'd taken some documents um, he'd taken some documents away to work on prior to him probably going to Israel to work for the Israelis. And so the the other conspiracy theory is that the the American state decided, 
you're not going to go and work for Israel. You're, and they finished him off to prevent him taking the technology elsewhere. What about supernatural so, conspiracies? Supernatural conspiracy. Um, I can give you one. <laughs> awesome. Um, in the first working um, Hubbard, Hubbard, Hubbard has the voice say some quite terrifying things to him. Um, the, the goddess talks about, I am become living flame. Um, and there's a lot of talk about, about a fiery death um, in his future. I mean, it, it looked, when, when you read it in retrospect, I mean, it, it looks like it's predicting Jack's, Jack's death, mm-hmm. death by, by fire or by explosion. Um, so here's, here are two possibilities. Um, one is that he was, he, he took these as like kind of deep hypnotic suggestions. And these deep suggestions that were lodged in him, um, in Scientology terms, we call this an engram. Um, and this engram was lodged in him by Hubbard, perhaps inadvertently, which led to him making this error and, and killing himself. Yeah. The other possibility to consider is whether, whether Hubbard killed Jack magically by mistake. I'm not saying that he deliberately set out or cursed Jack or did any of those things, but one of the things that Hubbard did after working with Jack is he started to take on some of Jack's accomplishments for his own. So there's a, a short story he writes under a pseudonym, which credits Hubbard with um, creating a, a rocket engine. And that's clearly Jack. This is something that Jack did, but Hubbard is then trying to say, I, Elron Hubbard did this because he, you know, there was no lie too big for, for Hubbard. But as Hubbard got deeper into Crowley, and my, my summation in the book is that Hubbard's fascination with, with Thelema and with Crowley continued after he split up with Jack. And my, one of the things that happens is that Hubbard begins to view himself as the heir of Crowley in some sense and the Antichrist himself in some sense. And Jack's doing the same thing, unbeknownst to Hubbard. But I think magically when you have... When you have two things in the world like this, when you have two antichrists at the same time, then one of them doesn't need to exist. So Hubbard, Hubbard doubling Jack created the magical possibility for Jack to no longer be needed as, as you know, surplus. Right. Even though the, the real definition of antichrist doesn't mean there just can only be one. I mean, there could be anybody who's can be many. antichrist, can be many. right? Yeah. It doesn't have to be... A singular yeah. person or, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but Hubbard's understanding was pretty much singular. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's that's a really interesting part about it. I did want to make sure you, you touch on the two Antichrist part of your yep. book, too, before we, yeah. before we run yeah, out of sure. time. Is there anything else you can expand on that? I mean, that's a part that nobody really seems to understand, that they both were considering themselves that or called themselves that or or were trying to take that from Crowley or... Yeah, Hubbard, as I show in the book, was like had a long time fascination with Crowley, and it it breaks the surface in a couple of times um, on public record. So he gives some lectures in 1948. Check my note, 52, 52. Um, in the Philadelphia lectures, he refers to my friend Alistair Crowley, and he he's 
This is backed up by some some off record stuff by um, by Hubbard's son, who's a guy called Nibs, and uh, and Nibs is a really unreliable witness. Like again, a difficult character, but he insists that Hubbard was obsessed with Crowley, was reading all of his books, and he gives a very garbled account of it in a in an interview to Rolling Stone and a few other places. That can be these can be found online if you search for if you search for. Um, Elron Hubbard, Nibs, Crowley, you'll probably bring it up. Um, so Hubbard, Hubbard is definitely following this interest. He goes to London before, before he gives this My Friend Crowley speech. He sets up one of his major bases in St. Hill in East Grinstead in, 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 um, in England. He's thinking about himself in terms of this, this great cult leader and what I find in the book is when we get to the higher Scientology grades, uh, particularly a grade called OT8, Operating Thetan 8, um, Hubbard, again, at the very end of his life, makes, makes some very strong um, apocalyptic statements where he essentially identifies himself as Antichrist and positions Scientology as uh, a world force that's designed to prevent the second coming. <laughs> but the second coming isn't the second coming of Christ. The second coming is an alien invasion, an alien invasion um, from the Markabian galaxy. So we've got like kind of a, a crashing together of science fiction, um, biblical theology and Crowley, which goes right the way through, through Hubbard's life. That's fascinating. Has anybody tried to make the connection of uh, just to switch topics uh, briefly here with um, actually, no, before I do that, what about the antichrist part for Jack then and for, and for Crowley and for Crowley? Okay. So Crowley doesn't really talk about antichrist. Crowley identifies himself as the B666 um, of revelation. Um, And one of the things that Crowley is looking for in his life is a, a scarlet woman or a woman to to function as Babylon as the as the whore of revelation. So you have the whore and the beast as this kind of like as this kind of like um you can see them almost in tantric terms, um, as as you know, Shakti and her consort, her fierce consort form. Um and Jack does something slightly different. Jack, after the disaster of the first working after losing his security clearance he has um he has a he has a dream where babylon returns to him again and he engages in a a second and less known working an antichrist working where he performs sex magic for a 17 day period right. and then he has a vision on the astral where he he travels to the city of Chorazin, and Chorazin is the reputed birthplace of Antichrist. Um, and Chorazin is a is a is a city in the Bible. It's um, built out of black basalt, and Jack travels there in this final dream sequence, and he encounters the the prince of the power of the air. So he meets the devil again, um, and the devil. Um, the devil instructs him and Jack returns to returns and, and believes that he's accomplished um, 
I'm pleased he's accomplished a thermic ordeal called the ordeal of the abyss, which is like one of the one of the big kind of staging points in magical progress in 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 that system. And so Jack Jack believes that he is now the Antichrist on Earth, and he issues a manifesto. Um, and the manifesto is very like all of his work. It's it reads like it reads like libertarian libertarian kind of like philosophy mixed in with anti-Christianity. And Jack believes that that the repressed sexual forces are needed to be liberated in order for mankind to transform itself and to be able to master the powers unlocked by the atom bomb and to transform the world into um, into uh, a thelemic paradise where everyone is essentially doing their will. So it's it's a major it's a major theological step that he's taking as a result of having undergone this working. And Jack is convinced that he is the Antichrist, will lead a nation, notably probably America, to accept the law of Thelema within a set period of time, and that the goddess Babylon will be born upon earth. So interesting how the sexual liberation really has happened. I mean, if you look at that part of culture, it's it's you know, it's gone. Hundred percent, full blown. I mean, and now, oh, but yet, but yet, yeah. the but the, yet the libertarian aspect, the you yeah. know that well, this sort of sort of started becoming fascism in a way, or that's what seems to have come come out of this yeah. whole thing. I mean, has yeah, it, I think we're we're in a weird state because a lot of the things that Jack's saying is still relevant. So um, I push back slightly on the on the sexual liberation. I think there was there was a lot of um, there was a lot of potential in the sixties, um, and there was. Uh, a moment of great sexual experimentation, particularly, particularly on West West Coast America, and we we see that still still having its ramifications. I mean, all, all of the sex cults are still pretty much American things, right? You know, it's still coming out of out of the Bay Area um, or or out of LA. Um, but I would personally argue that that we're we're actually entering an age where there's perhaps going to be greater restriction on sex, um, even as it becomes increasingly commodified and like, um, and we become hyper-stimulated by the overabundance of pornography. I think what we actually lose is a lot of the intimacy and transformation of power that, that sex can contain. So I think on one level, we superficially seem to be in a sexually oh, liberated age, but in but another way, I think we're still pretty repressed. Yeah, that's, that's, like a fan, cheap, that's fascinating. It's like a cheap fucking Hollywood fake sexual liberation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. While they while they get ready to 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 parcel us all off with fucking sex robots. Yeah, so, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you lose that that intimacy and the magical aspect of it. Wow, that's that's fascinating, huh? Yeah. So it, here's a here's a weird question: Has anybody tried to put together or or uh, uh, match up one of his one of Jack's predictions in his Lieber of the Hillarian within seven years being the birth yeah. of Hillary Clinton in forty seven? <laughs> no, I've seen, I've seen, um, I've seen the, the, the Hillary Clinton as the whore of Babylon kind of like stuff. Um, I, I love the, I love the American Christian, uh, evangelist kind of like endless readings of revelation. Uh, no, that's funny. I like that. I like that. And, and then of course we have, is it Bob, Barbara Bush? Is she Crowley's, uh, Crowley's daughter? Is yeah. That yeah. The one? Yeah. I heard that one too. Yeah. 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 That's funny. yeah I, I'm my my feeling is that that a lot of those prophecies fell by the wayside with Jack's death. Yeah. Like, like so 
but there are some things that you can add up. Um, so um, Marjorie Cameron gives birth to a child, which by my calculation fits the dates. Um, her daughter was a, a, a lady called Crystal who, who had a pretty rough upbringing because Cameron was, you know, Cameron gave her LSD when she was very young and she let her be sexually abused by various men. And she, she just kind of let her run, run wild and, and had a, she had a tough time as a result of right. it. Um, Crystal, I think is still alive. Um, but, but like everyone who's involved with this, she, you know, they, those people want nothing to do with the, they, they want nothing to do with the the story after that. Point. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she wasn't Jack's, she wasn't Jack's child just, just to make that clear as well. Right. Um, she was, she was a child by another partner at that stage. And there was a Northrop back then. Is that, is that from the Northrop Grumman as well? Like it goes, the aviation name. I, you is... know, I've been asked that before, but I'm, um, not that I'm aware of. Um, perhaps, perhaps one of the researchers listening to this yeah, could yeah, could, yeah. could shed some light in the comments because yeah. I I haven't chased haven't chased that one down. Yeah. So what do you, Darren? Do you have any other questions at well, all? Well, I mean, it really seems to boil down to that intentional lifestyle. Seems to be sort of the basis that the old school magicians were coming up with is sort of my takeaway from a lot of this, and that seems to be the crossover to the new age stuff, <laughs> which to me would. I would argue is sort of that baseline of because like I don't even know that I'm a new age magician. I'm just more of an intentionalist. So I've got a very intentional place where I want my life to end up. I've got a very intentional a view of how I'm going to get there. So I get up in the morning intending on what steps I'm going to take to get there, which which is kind of kind of analogous to what you're talking about there with the trying to be better every day or, you know, it just kind of fits into that. Whereas, whereas it gets into that pasture that used to teach Trump back in the day about positive thinking. It all comes back to that in my estimation anyway, of just getting up in the morning with a, with a plan, with the, with not being stuck in the drift as Napoleon Hill would have put it when his conversations with the quote unquote, the devil of just not getting caught up in the drift of life. And there's none of us that are just living an intentional life. And that's sort of, that's sort of baseline one. And maybe that's just sort of the the shallow end of the pool is that intentional life. And you can get into the deep end of the pool with some of this ritual and and kind of stuff like that. But at the same time, it seems a little risky. Yeah. It's everyone, everyone works the level that they feel is appropriate for them. I mean, what, what you're describing there, if you look at, if you look at the way that's come into modern magic, probably the best thing for that is um, when the temple of psychic youth were working they have a, a thing that you can look up called um, the message message from the temple. Um, it's obviously spelled the way that Genesis spells everything with like two E's, um, and that's that's like a, a basic a, that's a basic magical instruction that, that they issued for their group as a modern magical instruction. Going going discover who you are and become closer and closer to it every day. And there's a there's a lovely version of it on YouTube if people want to want to look that up. That was very important in the counterculture of the time that fed into a lot of the English magic that I was interested in. Wow. That's so, yeah, fantastic. You know, we're all, we're all magicians and we're all using a variety of different tools and it, you know, we can work at, we can work at different levels whether, and for people to be living intentional lives, however they do it, that's, that's the, well, end. you're doing it either way. Yeah. That, that would yeah. be my argument is you're doing it either yeah. way. It's just, if you're not taking control of that attention, then wherever your life is right now, you intended that. Yeah. 
sorry to be the bearer of bad news, but you probably, I mean, there's, there's outside circumstance and there's this and that, and, and you can't be positive every day. I deal with that myself, but there's still, where, wherever you are in your life, I mean, 99% of that for 99% of us is, is that's, that's the, uh, where you've been heading kind of. Well, that's the, that's the, the equation of your decisions. This is the ultimate where your decisions and your intentions have gotten you to this day. And if, if you think you've been intending someplace else, well, I, I, you're wrong. Yeah. Unfortunately. Do you have any advice then for people like instead of getting stuck doom scrolling or just becoming more intentional or becoming more aware of themselves or even how to discover who you are? I mean, that's, that's pretty tough for a lot of people. Well, one of the easy things to do is this. Crowley is a, 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 an impossible tar baby. It's a terrible trap for most people to, to go down occult spirals. So my, my philema can be reduced to four words, which is do what thou wilt. I mean, the core teaching of Crowley that anyone could take away and do something useful with is do what thou wilt. And this is this is a phrase that you say that, that you say to other people. Right, right. This is the same as like this is giving this them the freedom, the right? This is this detaching is yourself from the personalization of it. Yeah. Yeah. So what you're doing is you're offering people the opportunity for them to do their thing, to be themselves and to find themselves and not to impose your theology or ideas upon other people, but to see everyone as a sovereign, as an individual who has the potential to do that. Now, it's not your business whether they do it or not, but you can offer the opportunity for other people to discover who they are and to find why they're here and enable them to do it. So that's what I'd say, you know, and just keep reading wildly. You know, understand that, that the truth is out there in science fiction. It's out there in the older books of magic. You know, it's out there everywhere. You can learn from everyone and everything. And building that intentionality, building a positive life with, with, with good people and trying not to spend your life online, um, I, I think you can go a long way. Fantastic advice. Thanks. That's a great way to wrap it up. Yeah. Where can I, I love your logo, by the way, the little devil ass is great. Thanks. Um, where can our listeners track you down if they want to get, uh, get Scarlett's books, if they want to find your book, if they just want to, if they just want to like creep along on your social media. Sure. If they want to, if they want to stalk us on social media, we only have Instagram so that they can follow us on Instagram for social media. Um, we're very private, quiet people. So we just have that. And we have our website, which is scarletimprint.com, where you can find um, various essays for free in all of our books. And we have all of our talks kind of on YouTube, on our Scarlet Imprint YouTube channel. So if people want to consume stuff that way, they can see me talking that. Awesome. Thank you so much, Peter. It's been great. No, it's been wonderful. Thank you. Yeah. Really recommend your book too. We'll, we'll put all the links in the show notes. Thanks, buddy. All right, cool. Peter. Thanks, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks, guys. Okay. Bye-bye. And that was a chat with uh, Peter Gray. What'd you think? Oh, it's another one of my favorites. I'm telling you. It's all your I favorites, just, eh? I, we should just call well, the show Ground's Favorites. Honestly, his book was fantastic. I mean, it really puts a different spin on, not a different spin, but a different take on uh, 
what happened. Like there's a perception of what happened there with the Babylon working and he gets right into it. And I love it. Someone should fictionalize the whole thing and just make it. Something. Oh, it, it's cause, cause it's, it's all those sci-fi guys, right? Like when I grew up, like, you know, knowing about Heinlein and how much and, of it is already like hidden in the sci-fi. I wonder. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Stranger in a strange land and all that. I mean, yeah. I was kind of more of a sci-fi guy when I was younger, right? Then I kind of went into more fantasy and then kind of been out of out of fiction for a while. But it's just interesting that the that this occult sort of thing overlaps with sci-fi more than people realize. Anyways, it was, it was great. Yeah. yeah, big thanks for big thanks to uh, to Peter for coming on the show. Of course, that's those are the guys who put us in touch with Gordon White back in the day. Sent us his book Starships. That's how we got to got to know Gordon, which uh, we have to thank him for that as well. It's turned out to be a a good friend uh, along the journey. Uh, so, yeah, big thanks to Peter. Check out all his stuff. Head over to the publisher there. Check out that's where Gordon publishes his books, a bunch of other fantastic books. Check out Peter's book. Check out our books. Adult they, Brain. They, they do prints and artwork and stuff as well. And, oh, do yeah, they? Yeah. We got, I think, eight or ten titles out now under Adult Brain Publishing, which is adultbrain.ca. I'll get you to all of those. There's four more coming out this week. Um Secret Doctrine Volume 2 will be coming along pretty quick. Hamlet's Mill coming up in the next couple of weeks. Some great titles coming out. Adultbrain.ca, use those Audible credits, whatever you want to do there. Check out the books, adultbrain.ca. GrandAmericaOutlaw.ca, if you want to get into our other podcasts, our more hard-hitting stuff, maybe a little more controversial, all that kind of stuff. The the show that got kicked off YouTube in under two months, Um, but it's still on Rockfin, rockfin.com slash GrandAmerica to check out all that stuff. Of course, grandamerica.ca slash support, guys, if you're getting some value from these shows, from our little podcast here. This will be number 505 or something like that, all for free. No closed back catalog, no affiliates, no ads. You just get it for free. If you're getting some value from all those free shows, head over to grandamerica.ca slash support today. Make a one-time donation. Sign up for a monthly, whatever you can do to, to start throwing some value back in the pot so we can keep going, keep growing, keep taking over the world trying to make it a better place contact at the cabin.com. If you want to get on one of our tours, we just did sell out two more of those this weekend, Utah next year, sold out September Scablands tours sold out. Uh, so the only event that still has tickets right now is magic on the mountain, February 10th to 13th next year. Of course we will be, uh, I will be dropping another Randall event here in the next week or two as well. And our magic on a mountain episode would have come out probably the week before this. Outro. It's coming yeah. up. We're recording the intro yeah. for that right away. Right away, right now. Yeah. All right, guys. <laughs> Thanks for listening, and we will see you next week. Who's going to kill this sacred cow? You were never political, anyhow. Since when did you start trusting in the government? Since when was it okay to ridicule and shame your neighbor? Your opinions have become... Your opinions have become as fickle as artificial flavors. What matters most to you? What the TV host told you to do? Or a moral compass that points true north or true? Who's gonna kill this sacred cow? You were never religious anyhow. Since when did you kiss? The ring on the hand of the Pope Since when do we need Pharmaceuticals to cope Your soul has become 
ever-loving soul has become as brittle as communion wafers. What matters most to you? What the Holy Ghost told you to do? Or a moral compass that points true north, oh true. I'm gonna kill, I'm gonna kill this sacred cow. Bureaucrats think I'm non-essential anyhow. Since when has our culture become so lowbrow? It's all touchscreens, and nobody has any know-how. Your idea of fun, your idea of fun, is taking a thousand and one photos of your duck face. Matters most to you, what the celebrities most told you was cool, or a moral compass that points true north, oh true. I'm gonna kill. This sacred cow I'm gonna kill Your sacred cow I'm gonna kill Your sacred cow I'm gonna kill I'm gonna kill Your sacred cow I'm gonna kill I'm gonna kill your sacred cow I'm gonna kill I'm gonna kill Your sacred cow I'm gonna kill I'm gonna kill I'm gonna kill Your sacred cow I'm gonna kill 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 Your sacred cow Sacred cow.